This week on Backyard Footy. Um, it was interesting to listen to so far. I mean, I, one thing that kind of caught my attention, someone mentioned movement. Um, but being involved in the sport uh, actively as a head coach, um, seeing my players, opponents take a knee, I've seen the T-shirts. I haven't seen anything move outside of that. Nothing's changed. So, you know, when you say movement, uh, I don't know if that's quite the right word. I, I see a lot of active participants. Um, so when you talk about maybe the fan base, um, minorities or blacks needing to, to actually participate and spend dollars, I mean, I see actually participants in the sports that are about to kick off, about to play a game. Coaches that are, that are there participating, actively taking a knee and wearing T-shirts. That hasn't changed anything. That hasn't moved the needle at all. Yes, sir, footy fans, your host, Hugh Roberts, a.k.a. Superhuman. It feels great to be back for my first episode of the year. It's my 44th episode of Backyard Footy, where each episode I dive into the backgrounds, journeys, and experiences of professional athletes, former athletes, and anyone that's been involved with the game. I have a very special episode here for you guys for my first episode of the year. Falls during Black History Month, so I wanted to do something special for you guys. I got together six great guys who are influential in the black community. I wanted to not only share our experiences throughout the history of the black soccer world, but talk about the issues we've seen throughout this month and over the past year. I got together Michael Ensian, the FC Tulsa head coach, the only black coach in the USL championship. I got Gucci Anyewu, US former US men's national team, former AC Milan, my boy out in Philly. I got Aaron Dolores from Black Arrow, one of the top black media companies in the soccer community. I got Coach Philip Jow, the head coach of the Howard's men's soccer team, former U.S. men's national team, former Howard's men's national team, and the coach that used to groom me in high school. I have Brian Haynes, former Atlanta Silverbacks, head coach, Trinidad, former Trinidad national team member, and one of the top influential black coaches out here. And I got BPA members, Brandon Miller and Aaron Mound here with me, my boys out in Charlotte to share with you guys also insight what we've been doing within the BPA. It's important we talk about these things. It's important we share what's going on. It's important you guys hear what we've been discussing on what we think of our minds because it's time to hear our voice because we're going to shift the narrative. Thank you guys for following along, footy fans. Let me know what you think, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Let's do a brief little introduction, though. Why don't you lead us off, Aaron? Uh, Aaron Mon. Oh. Oh, my God. Too, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just go. My name is Aaron. Um, I've been playing for Charlotte the past two years, um, played in the MLS for a number of years. Um, yeah, just been uh, trying to promote. I'm the director of communications for the BPA, just trying to, you know, do what everyone else on the call, I think, it is trying to do and promote the game for the community. So nice to meet you all. Uh, I guess I'll go next. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Dolores, uh, Black Arrow FC platform that focuses on the intersection of soccer and Black culture. I'll hop up next. Brandon Miller, uh, goalkeeper with Charlotte Independence, been in the league for 10 years. Uh, do some work with the BPA as well. Uh, like Aaron said, just promoting the same, same thing we all want. <laughs> I guess I'm up. Mike Ensian, uh, head coach of FC Tulsa in the USL Championship. Um, there's no, there's no uh, black coaches association, so I'm I'm the president and the and the member. Yes, <laughs> uh, what's up, everybody? Gucci Anyewu, uh, former retired uh, national team player and 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 professional player overseas as well as MLS current owner, CEO of Onyx Elite uh, Fitness and Sports Performance Company. And then um, Philip Jow, um, Howard University men's coach and um, former professional player, national team also, and um, coaching out here in Bethesda, Silver Spring. 
man, the myth, the legend himself. He used to train me as well, coach me as well back in high school. But yeah, thanks for you guys for hopping on. I want to do something a little different here. You know, traditionally Black, Black History Month, we always see historical times, everyone going through history, but I kind of wanted to take a different approach and kind of address some of the issues from our perspective and what we see media-wise. I know, I'm, I'm not sure if all you guys have seen, but companies like High Snobody still getting their imagery wrong using Black History Month imagery of us holding cotton. Most clubs still kind of don't acknowledge, you know, the lack of diversity at their top managerial positions. Even that, in a, in a sense, kind of brings awareness. USL told us as well, you know, of course, things like Beasley and Davies looks great as well, but we have guys like Michael Ensian himself, who's barely getting acknowledged in my mind, who's pioneering this whole black coach movement, especially in the championship level, but we're still not really getting acknowledged like that. So I wanted to discuss these issues because it's important for people to hear our perspectives on this. And we're always kind of in the backseat. They always call us up to do these media things, but we're never the ones really leading the charge. So I wanted to address these issues and talk about what we thought about it. No, I think uh, obviously this, this is Gucci, by the way, uh, these issues are important for sure. Um, I would ask you guys as active players, because, you know, I'm no longer in that space anymore. How do you feel? I know this last 365 days has been unique, you know, and, and to the most part in, in regards to the uh, awareness outside of our kind of demographic. But how do you guys, how, how do you kind of receive all this? I mean, for me, honestly, it's it's the past year has been pretty eye opening. Um, I mean, obviously, you, you see things around the United States for the past few years in terms of social injustice and things like that. But I guess this is the, the first year I've really dug deep into it, uh, specifically in the soccer world and just realizing the, the inequity, the, the, the problems that are within every level of, of soccer, whether it's youth soccer, college soccer, professional soccer. I mean, most recently I looked at just the, the outlook of, we talked about coaching staffs in, in the USL or front offices in the USL. These aren't things I really noticed before, um, but I, I just got used to them. And so now that I start paying attention more, it becomes so obvious and it, it's kind of disheartening just how um, inequitable these these situations are there's not a lot of black faces not a lot of people who look like me in coat in in you know important positions and in, in head coaching positions and in, in front office positions and and things like that are are systemic issues that we just have never really addressed and from another standpoint too this whole movement is kind of crazy in a sense too because i would say a decade ago if i was in high school i never would have imagined you know players kneeling on the field us being in a position to go to our coaches and express and voice ourselves and our frustration. I remember for me growing up, I really didn't really voice my frustrations. If I saw someone, you know, getting killed on the street that looked like me, I didn't really voice that to my coach because I didn't want to not start for the weekend or I didn't want to get punished for it or, or get, you know, be on the back burner because I'm voicing my frustration. So now seeing how the movement's happening, seeing I had a, my own middle school, Woods Academy reached out to me and told me, their eighth grade class got together and went out to the principal by themselves. and was like, hey, we wanna address these issues in school and talk about more of our history and stuff. And I was just like, wow, I couldn't imagine being in eighth grade having the confidence to talk to my own principal about these stuff. So in another sense as well too, it's kind of eye-opening to see the whole movement. And yes, this should have been happening decades ago, but for some reason now, everything is kind of you know eye-opening and changing. And you know, um, just a couple months ago, I went to the ACC um, semifinals for the women and the girls were kneeling down during the national anthem for Duke University. Wow. Uh, you know, I was, yeah. And then um, nobody batted an eye. They were just kneeling down during the anthem and then that was it. You know, I, didn't, I was kind of like, I was shocked by it. That's all, especially at Duke, you know. I think it's one of those things that, that's, for me personally, I didn't realize, really realize how, how much power we have as players, um, specifically even in the USL, um, to, to really affect change and to really drive, um, you know, different campaigns or different, different things that we want done. Um, and, and like you said, sometimes you, it's in the back of your mind, like, you know, we're professional athletes, we want to play, we want to compete, and we don't want our views off the field to, to be detrimental to what we're doing on the field. But at some point, 
and I, and it happened to me like early this year at some point you just got to realize like it, it's bigger than than playing soccer like some there's there's just more important things and that's where that's where I was earlier this year and I think have, starting to realize that and being more outspoken has definitely I feel like it's helped me on and off the field but you know hey guys you know like um I spoke about this am I on mute or no nah, you're good you're good Okay, well, um, remember the last time we met, um, you interviewed me a few months ago, Hugh, and um, I was talking about if we're going to make some big changes, right, we've got to get the support from parents and kids getting involved, um, African-American kids, African kids, Caribbeans, whatever, getting involved in the game, you know. Um, I've, I've gone to D.C. United games um i've gone to many many soccer games where um a lot of the spanish folks are represented um white folks of course are there and everything but then um we have the black players but then you don't see uh, um, um the spectators spending the dollars and all of that stuff so when this happens they um i don't think that um if i were an owner right you wouldn't address a person that's not spending money with you. It's, it's, it doesn't matter to them. Unless we can get numbers into the game in terms of filling up the stadiums, it's gonna be always like this. It's always gonna be like this because soccer is a world sport. And then of course, Europe is dominating everything, right? In terms of money and all of that television and everything. And um, the fans are also driving this. And really, um, we need to just get black folks involved with the game in, in all aspects of it. That's what I think. That's that's going to help the change come faster. Yeah, um, it was interesting to listen to so far. I mean, I, one thing that kind of caught my attention, someone mentioned movement, um, but being involved in the sport uh, actively as a head coach, um, seen my players, opponents take a knee. I've seen the T-shirts. I haven't seen anything move outside of that. Nothing's changed. So, you know, when you say movement, uh, I don't know if that's quite the right word. I, I see a lot of active participants. Um, so when you talk about maybe the fan base, um, minorities or Blacks needing to, to actually participate and spend dollars, I mean, I see actually participants in the sports that are about to kick off, about to play, a game, coaches that are that are there participating, actively taking a knee and wearing T-shirts, that hasn't changed anything. That hasn't moved the needle at all. So, you know, I felt a little bit different when I'm hearing some of these uh, Premier League teams and things like, oh, we're not going to take a knee anymore. And I, I felt some type of way about it, like, I mean, what's going on? But the fact is, it hasn't changed anything. So it's just becoming a little bit trendy, I think. You know, mm -hmm. so and, until some actual things are done, then um, I don't know. It, it seems like we're spinning our wheels a bit. Um, just just uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, I, I saw, I, I want to mention names. I've seen some guys wearing the T-shirts again. Um, I see some reporters uh, giving guys praise, very public praise about what they're doing uh, and wearing those T-shirts and speaking about equity publicly. Meanwhile, they have the, the potential to actually hire people. These are, these are people that can hire more staff members. Uh, they hire players, their coaches, and you wear a t-shirt, but you're, you don't have a coaching staff that, that resemble that shirt that you're wearing. I mean, you're kidding, you know? So actually I called the, I called the reporter and uh, because I, maybe I had time that day, you know, and I, and I told him, I said, Hey, uh, th this is a little bit BS. I don't like what you're doing. And he said, what happened? And I said, he's like, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the movement. I'm interested. What did I do wrong? And I told him, you can't give false praise. Nothing's been done. This coach is wearing a t-shirt and he, and, he and he doesn't have any staff members. You know what I mean? So hire. I, I wouldn't say anything different to my club. What should we do during this month? Hire, <laughs> hire. You know, that's, that's, that's the most significant part of change that you can have is actually employment. That's what that's what changes things, I think. Hey, you know, that you brought you brought up such a great point. And um, just um, 
also a few months ago when this thing was deep in it, right? Um, they were talking about um, Bethesda here, the coaches and um, the teams put Black Lives Matter on the back of the shirts and things like that. And, and then I said, you know what? I mean, what, what does that mean when you're wearing that Black Lives Matter t-shirt, especially if you don't put it into action, right? Like let's say, okay, Bethesda, um, I'm coaching out here in Bethesda and a lot of African-Americans, Africans, Caribbeans have um, grown out of Bethesda and are going to top schools and are doing well in the club. And I think that speaks volume rather than me wearing um, a t-shirt and then not really doing anything about it. You know, coaches are wearing the t-shirts, but then um, of course you have teammates that are wearing the Black Lives Matter t-shirts, but outside of the game or before the national anthem, after that, it's over. Everyone goes home and nothing happens. You know, action, I think, speaks louder than words. So, I, I mean, the T-shirts, really, it doesn't impress me when the people are wearing it. it which is what you're doing that matters, I think. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I just like want to jump in real quick. So, one, I double down on what everybody said, right? Uh, definitely, uh, I won't say that I don't appreciate people wearing the t-shirt um, because at a, at a level, awareness is the first act that change anything. You can't change anything unless you're aware to it. So the people that are wearing the t-shirt, the, the people that are really promoting, that's in itself is a positive act. Now the positive act doesn't stop there as Michael said. <clears throat> if clubs, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna go through statistics, like even if you go to the MLS, how many head coaching jobs were open since the summer? that were filled up until this point, right? Every team in the league spoke about how they, you know, they're with their team, they're with their black players, they believe in this movement, they believe in equity, they believe in inclusion. However, not one of them hired a black head coach, not one, right? And I'm gonna go even further in the USL because I know there were even more turnovers in terms of coaches uh, in the USL. And to my knowledge up until today, Michael is still the only black head coach in the USL. And I know because my company works with uh, the league partnership and we, I speak to different uh, clubs and, and I know there were turnover. There was so much turnover in terms of head coaching, whether people were going here or there, but there were no black people. And don't tell me that there's no qualified black coaches to be able to fill those positions. So for me, it's the movement's one thing, but it's almost like, a Caucasian family um, where the parents preach uh, inclusion and don't be racist to the kids, which is great, you know, accept everybody. You're not different, they're not different, right? And they're teaching this to their children, but their friend group has no black people in it. So their children are hearing one thing, but they're seeing a completely different story, right? And so you're almost as a child or almost as an observer, you're gonna reenact what you see more than what you hear. Right. And so as a league, as a movement, as a federation, as a country, to say it is great. That's only like half of the first step. But you have to actually make actions. And the be best action, aside from obviously, I think Phil, sometimes they want to appease us by here, we're going to donate, we're going to do this, you know, and almost quiet you by their generosity on, in, in terms of monetary uh, generosity. But that's great. But I really, the only way I really want to move up and, and the way I see it is as a young kid, I looked up to Eddie Pope. I was like, oh man, he's on the national team. You know, he's, he's there. I can do that. All right, great. I worked my butt off, became professional, made, made the national team, right? I aspired to do that. I had a great career. Now I'm a, I'm a player. Who do I look to? Who can I be like, right? So it's almost like you hit a ceiling because you don't see anybody that really represents you after that. And then what they're saying by not employing people or not giving us the opportunity to get in these in these uh, these opportunities of either head coaching, front office, president, even ownership, is that yes, your lip service is great, but your actions are basically saying that there's a ceiling that you won't let us attain. And that that part of the thing that's that's the part of the equation that I don't agree, and that's what really needs to change for me to believe that people are fully and 100 percent behind this. And Gucci, Gucci, you said you said qualified coaches, black coaches. What does it take 
what does it mean to be qualified? What do we need to do? What do we need to be qualified? Uh, this is open for anyone that, that has an answer because I've seen guys roll roll off the pitch into head coaching positions uh, or have mediocre CVs, to be honest. Uh, so what does it take for us? I, mean, I know most of us on this screen have been told by their parents we, we have to do twice as much or whatever. So can we define, uh, is there a way to define what it would take? Um, is it a unicorn? Is there is there actually something that presentable that we can say some coach has that he deserves this uh, opportunity? Because I'm, I'm not sure. I wish I had the answer for you, but the, the reality of the situation is the, the, the standard of qualifications for us to anybody else is always going to be different. History has shown that, right? So it's not just me being thinking it's biased, but history has shown that in every single sense of the word. You're the only black coach in America with a USSF pro license, right? Why? I'm, and there's other coaches that wanted access to that class. They weren't given access. That's just one thing. I believe that there's a number. I mean, even on this Zoom call, coaches that could be head coaches in pro teams, you know, aside from you, right? How come they're not given that access? Or maybe it's people, like I said, they aspire to have their circle look like them. And if we don't look like them, then obviously by definition, we can't be in that circle. Um, and so qualified, I think everybody's, I, <laughs> qualification for me is like here, you know what I mean? I, I, don't, I don't see it going. Like if you're good enough, you're good enough. Like if, you're, if, if I'm better than a white person then, or if he's better than me, cool, right? But don't say, oh, I don't feel comfortable because X, Y, Z, right? Don't, don't bring me those kind of standards. Um, and, and unfortunately, the reality of the situation is with this movement that didn't start a year ago, right? Nothing started a year ago. We've, we've all lived this since our inception, our birth, right? Um, I think that the world is less tolerant of it right now, which is, which is the case. Or hopefully it won't become a fad that dies down and then everyone's like, oh, you remember 2020, 2021? And, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that was, those were wild years, you know? And like, you know, yeah, I'm glad 2022 came around because no, you know, these guys are, they've calmed down. And now I don't, I don't want us to calm down. Um, I know myself, Demarcus Beasley and Mauricio Wilson, we just did a podcast with uh, Lincoln Phillips, um, the, the former head coach of, of uh, Howard University, they're the ones that won the, the national championship in the 70s. And one thing he really said to me, he said in the interview, we asked him, we said, in the 70s, when you won, that was only 50 years ago. That's it. easily in the lifetime of a lot of people that are going through this thing right now. What do you think has changed from there to now? And without hesitation, he said nothing. This man said nothing has changed. He said the only thing that has changed and he, he, he named us, he's like, you guys, you guys are a new kind of black people. You guys, you're, you, you're not settling for crumbs. You know, you guys want everything. You want, you want equality, you want inclusion. That's the difference. He feels that in his era, people were sufficed with, you know, here, have some of this, okay, calm down, right? And, and for him to say that, and when I listened to his words, I was like, wow, you know, it, it gave me a sense of pride. And I was like, well, I can't let this man down, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just gonna have to work twice as hard, you know, so the next generation doesn't have to. Just like he had to work twice as hard, three times as hard, so that my generation and yours, Michael, and, and whoever before us could, could do what we did. Yeah, I'm, talk I'm talking too much, I need to stop. I, really like, I like that train of thought though, um, because the, the continuity of it, and if we can look at this sport and look at ourselves in this sport as more than just one generation and like building upon, you know, a plan, upon a goal, upon like a framework that has elevated us. Um, and it might not look like it, I, I feel like um, right on paper, but I, I really do think that in terms of um, the visuals of the whole thing and, and how we see ourselves in the sport, I think that has changed whether or not it's, it's uh, reciprocated on the outside or not. Um, you know, I think that there's a little bit more ownership in the sport and that Look, this sport's for us, whether, you know, people sit on the other side of the aisle think that or not, um, which is huge. But another point I wanted to bring up was uh, just, just continuing to put pressure on some of these clubs to, to realize that it's simply good business. Like, you're not doing anybody a favor. Um, you're not, it's not a handout. It's just good business. Like, 
uh, diversity of thought, different uh, cultures, different backgrounds, all that comes to make this game uh, as cliche as it sounds what it is, but um, it's, it, it, there is incentives on the bottom line because that's I really, what I really think is gonna you know, move the needle more is getting clubs to realize that. As sad as, as sad as it is, I'm not saying a unicorn, but I do think it's gonna take that one black coach, especially in the MLS to kind of pave the way uh, no disrespect to Vieira home reads a great black coach, but I'm talking about a black American coach to get up there, show them, them folks that it's okay to hire one of us and him hold, he's going to have to hold, of course, his standards twice as high has to have some success on the field with the team. Maybe you have to go to playoffs in the first year because we're on a short lease as well. But as sad as it is, I think it's really going to take that one pioneer to kind of be in the light for others to realize like, oh, okay, finally, yes, let's, let's hire some more Then now it's okay. But as said, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't come down to that at all. But I definitely think not only in the coaches realm, but in other managerial positions as well, presidents and stuff. I know Ernie Stewart's the head of US soccer right now and was in Philly as well, but we're gonna need, we're gonna need a lot more and a bunch of other clubs to make a true difference. But with what you're saying, you know, Ernie is the head, but at some point, people have to hold his feet to the fire as well. Like, who is he surrounding himself around? Who, how is he lifting us up as well? You know, because he is in a, a substantial position and we lean on him as a, a trailblazer, right? And we want to be able to have access to, to those positions and those, th those areas, that circle. Um, but like, like Mike said, if you're not hiring people like us, then how is that even going to help? If it's one thing, if white people don't hire black people, then when, when black people aren't hiring black people as well, it's like <laughs> throw your hands up. <laughs> you know, just what, what, what are we to do? You think putting pressure, kind of what Aaron was saying, is the right narrative and the next step? That like, how can we change this narrative? My next question, because we this, we all agree that these things need to change, and you know, we have this platform now and the power, kind of what you mentioned as well. With Gooch, you know, we're kind of like that next wave of players that are actually like putting pressure on people. So it's putting pressure on these clubs and these presidents, the, the main direction that we have to go in this. So you know what? Um, I think that in order, in order for this to work, right, um, players can't be afraid to lose whatever they have, right? And just as long that's dangling over your head, it's never going to really happen in a true way because um, you have some players that are playing and they might not necessarily want to take that chance or, you know, do some sort of like a, say, okay, look, we're not going to do this unless you give us this, right? They'll say, well, you know what? I have my family. I have my, you know, my whatever it is that I have to take care of. And if people are afraid to lose what they have, then we're not going to go anywhere. We're going to be talking about this another 50 years from now, like, like what the coach said. But you know what, though? Um, it has changed a little bit. It has changed a little bit because, I mean, I'm older than all of you all, right? And then so I do remember Coach Phillips and my father were best friends, okay? My father played with Coach Phillips, and Coach Phillips is sort of like my father. He recruited me to Howard University right, back in the 80s before he left. And um, I know him very well, you know, and um, it just gave him that Lifetime Achievement Award, um, you know, United Coaches, you know, from, you know, and they admitted that, you know, that it was unfair to Howard University back then. They really won two championships in a row, right? But really, players have to stand up and not be afraid of losing what they have. That's the only way you're going to make that change. Otherwise, we're just going to be just talking in circles, man. It's like one of those wheels, like the hamster wheel. You're just talking, 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 talking. Nothing ever happens. Talking, talking. And then it's going to come a point where you become like, oh, man, can't you just shut up? You just keep talking about this. We're tired of it. And then it's over. You know? So that's what I think. Thank you. The, 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 the idea of the pressure, it obviously it makes sense. Like we saw it happen here in Charlotte, you know, we put some pressure on our, our team here, became outspoken, uh, told them, fans, the front office, everybody, how we feel. And some changes came, right? Some changes, not all the changes that we're looking for. And I think 
in order for us to be truly impactful and make changes at the higher level, the highest levels, we have to, it has to be together. It has to be a collective group. Like it can't be us and Charlotte doing our thing and someone else out and another MLS team doing something, doing their own thing. Like if we, MLS players come together, USL players come together, NWSL players come together, coaching organizations come together, like all of that, putting, putting, getting on the, on the same page and putting that same type of pressure on every single organization, every single league. I think that's going to be a lot more impactful than us, you know, doing one thing in Charlotte, another thing in, in Tulsa, another thing in, in another city. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I, I'll jump in. I think that um, we need to root out some people and, and call out some people, not necessarily like publicly, but I think we do need to kind of figure out like, who's not doing their jobs and then be able to organize internally so that when, um, you know, when like, like who, who, like who are these white folks that are the problem and we know who they are specifically, but I I noticed with the Kaepernick situation in the NFL, for instance, um, what happened was the narrative became um, black folks and, and, and regular people against the NFL and um, Roger Goodell, but the NFL and Roger Goodell, they are the shield. They're there to protect the owners, right? What didn't happen is the Baltimore Ravens fans didn't go after the Baltimore Ravens owner, right? And the Miami Dolphin fans didn't go. I mean, I'm, I'm here in the Bay Area. I'm a, uh, I am live in Oakland. I'm from Oakland, but I'm a Niners fan. But the Niners fans, you know, were against the NFL, but they weren't against the Niners who dropped Kaepernick right and so I think like uh you know organizing and focusing our pressure not just publicly but you know um it's a strategy right like you you have to do it privately you have to do it publicly um and then also figuring out how to reshift things so that when another MLS uh you know job coaching job comes up are we on this call trying to figure out how to get Michael that that role, right? And and then who do we need to put the pressure on? Who do we need to call? And some of the things that I need to be get. I see a lot of these things. I know I'm saying this like publicly. I wouldn't say publicly to anybody that things are getting better, but I would say that like the atmosphere is right and a lot of the organizing is right and the groups, you know, are all just starting to form and kind of, you know, I've talked and worked with the guys of the USL and the guys of the MLS and it's like we hit this moment but then I'm seeing that these guys are kind of getting their ducks in a row and they're all figuring it out and how they're going to approach it so I think you know privately we are in at least have the opportunity to create some some changes as these organizations come together and then start linking up and you know um, being more organized and strategic just like every other, you know, political movement um, happens. I mean, it's the, the, the game plan is out there, really. Yeah, but you know what, though? You, you talk about the fan base, right? The fans. Mm-hmm. The fans. They're not there. Huh? The Black fans aren't there. <laughs> this, is, this is exactly yeah. what I'm No, I'm with you on that, too, 100%. I said that's, I mean, that's why I focus on trying to create fans, because... Yeah. I always say you're never going to throw a banana on the field in an Atlanta United game, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's black folks in there that, you know what I mean? You wouldn't, you wouldn't even do that. So that's what LeBron and them have is they, you know, they have the, the players and then they have the fans that are the customers and those things. That, that also is like, and even though I'm in the business of creating fans, like we also don't have ownership. So I'm, I find this hesitation by being like, all right, what if we just give these owners all these black fans, right? It's like, you know, it's like when they handed over hip hop to the record labels, it's kind of like, they're never gonna give it back. So I think that we are in a really crucial time because we do need to create equity in the products of soccer at the same time as we need to create the fans so that we're passing the money and the opportunity back and forth. But, but you know, remember when I talked about unity, right, with the players? Okay, look at the NFL. NFL is at least 75% Black. 
right? Right. They couldn't even stand together. Right. And stand together. Um, when Kaepernick was kneeling down, most of the players, Ray Lewis as an example, all these other influential black players were going against Kaepernick, right? Yeah. And the players, his own teammates were going against them. And uh, all over the NFL, and unless you have that unity amongst the players, it is never going to happen. You're just going to be talking and talking and talking. And then so get those players on board, get the players on board across the table, MLS, USL, wherever, college even, college players, you know. And um, that's the only way we're going to make change. But right now we're just like a, a splintered group, you know. And uh, if you speak out, you're like uh, an anomaly or something. You're like by yourself, you know. In any organization, you're going to have, like um, the other day, they were just talking about reparation, right? They brought Herschel Walker, who was totally against reparations for African-Americans. Did you see that days ago? Yeah, yeah surprised them. Yeah, they brought, and the, and the guy from Fox, they brought him, Fox, uh, the guy from Fox, and just totally discredit um, what happened to... Um, the blacks, our ancestors in the past, you know, you don't deserve um, uh, reparations, blah, blah, blah. You, you're always a find um, a sellout in our group all the time, you know, and that undermines any progress that we might make. And then it makes people afraid because then if I step out, right, and then let's say the rest of the people in the room don't step out, then I lose my job. And then so, I don't want to step out because I'm afraid that no one is going to be there to support me. You see? So. I think, I think that is like kind of why these groups are starting to form and we're starting to see um, it's a little bit more solidarity and, and togetherness. Um, you know, I, I, I hope that, you know, at least I think that the, the, you know, one of the main goals of the BPA and I would say the MLS counterpart, the same thing is, just to have a platform where this doesn't happen and that no one feels like they can't be themselves alone or, or that, um, you know, there's going to be ridiculed for speaking up for themselves. And I think that, you know, that, that collective voice um, and being there again, and I'm, I always like, you know, harp on these kind of things, but having voices from multiple generations um, at, at multiple levels of the game, speaking on these things together, I think is just like super powerful. And, and that attendance issue is, is actually kind of key and vital in my perspective as well. And that's something that we're trying to work here in the BPA is bringing more black fans to the game. So obviously it's going to be hard in every market, but one of the initiatives we're trying to get inactive is, you know, creating maybe 50 free tickets for black kids in the communities to come to a game. Yes, it might be tough for, you know, shuttles and, and commuting back and forth. We'll figure that out logistic wise, but you know, offering free tickets for them to come to certain games, having them, you know, maybe a free family night or something, free transportation, free something where we entice more Blacks to games. Because also, like Coach Phillips said, once they start seeing more Black attendance, I do agree that they're going to start throwing more dollars our way too, and it's just going to create more awareness. So that is, that is definitely something that needs to change and needs to grow. And what we're trying to do here in the BPA is create, you know, more avenues free-wise to entice us to come to game as well too, because all this needs to change. And then once they see that, I definitely think that they're gonna start turning heads as well to us and you know, actually hearing our words and things. But I think like also once they get to the games, like it needs to be an inclusive environment. Like there needs to be an environment that feels like it's not just for European soccer players or for yeah. South American soccer players or anything like that. Like there really needs to be um, an unapologetic uh, reach out to the black community because I don't, I think that a lot of clubs are just kind of waiting for the fans to come first, but that kind of model doesn't ever work in any other, in any other aspect of sports or, or, or anything where you're reaching out to, where you're trying to get fans. Um, so there needs to be that, that, that reach out, but also that, like that welcoming aspect, like, all right, once you're here, we're going to work to keep you here. Um, and we're going to make you feel like it's, it's something that you can take ownership in and it's yours. Yeah, definitely agree with that. How do we how do we feel about this anthem? I wanted to talk about that. And what do you think is the best solution? We've seen other club owners like the Mavericks 
stopping playing, they're stop playing the anthem for the rest of the season, I believe, and probably for the future on within the Mavericks. And that's something here that we're going to have to tackle as well within our club with the independence. And, you know, I know other clubs are going to be addressing this as well. And even the league is trying to address that. So what do you guys think? How do you guys feel about it? What do you think is the best solution? Makes it. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I feel like as a country, we're definitely old enough to not have to keep reiterating the national anthem. You know, I think that there's enough pride in the country that it doesn't have to be reiterated before every single sporting event um, just from the jump. Yeah, it's, it's touchy. Um, we all sure. we have the other side that's always you know diving hard into that and it's hardcore believing in that no matter what they always feel like it's some kind of disrespect that's even something I'm, I'm tackling myself as owners here as well trying to figure out what's the, their best methods and best procedures I'm going on this upcoming season what they should do and things and it's like of course you want to appease both sides and bring money in from a business standpoint that's of course what they're thinking about but does it even need to be in the agreement or just what Aaron's saying wax at all completely? I, of course, that's what we want to do, but do we think that's obviously going to happen realistically? Yeah, well, you know, uh, let me tell you this. Um, ask the players, right? Um, I don't, you know, like, um, just you, you've got to learn how to pick and choose your battles, right? Um, let's say um, you don't want the national anthem played, right? And um, a lot of people feel like it should be like a military kind of thing anyway. You play the national anthem at a military um, occasion or whatever, right? But a lot of fans are behind that national anthem because they say, well, um, at least 100 million people say that you should play that national anthem, right? And these companies are out for money. The minute you start... Um, just going against the national anthem, then they're going to say, well, this guy's against the country. You saw how they kind of murked it between like uh, Kaepernick kneeling down and all of that, just, uh, just disrespecting the flag and things like that, right? And then so you've got to find a real strategic way of attacking this thing right here. You can't say, well, we don't want to play the national anthem uh, at the game. You've got to find a way to say why. And you've got to have a reason, a good reason why you don't want it played before the game. You know what I mean? I have a question for you guys. Like, whose anthem is it? Is it like, I mean, because we did build this country. Is it is it our anthem as well? I, and I'm not like pro, pro like play the anthem at all, but I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Like, I'm, I'm feeling so like, I'm, my mindset is like, whose anthem is it if it's not ours then don't play it if we knew if we have one let's play ours if it's ours then you know what what should we do with it I and i can i know that we have guys play for the national team obviously like what do you um, mean i understand what you're saying like is this not like is it who, whose anthem is it whose anthem is it the national the national anthem yeah I mean, I don't understand what you're saying. You said that it's just for white folks? Yeah, I'm, I'm asking is that, like, do you, do you guys feel that way? I, I understand what you're saying. Um, I think patriotism in the black experience is a confusing thing. It's a very confusing thing. And I, I've never, I know how I feel about it, but I've never, I'm sure people have, I haven't heard recently someone speak about it in a way that describes kind of how I feel about patriotism because for me I'm a first my, my dad's Nigerian and my mom's African-American and so on my dad's side I look at it like I'm proud that my dad came to this country to make a life better for his family you know what I mean so when I hear the national anthem before USL games I reflect and I feel great about it me being an African-American coach and in that position like I feel great about that and you know and I it gives me that moment to actually think about that because I'm actually in Tulsa where I'm born and raised on Greenwood, Black Wall Street. That's where our stadium is at. And that's where I'm born and raised. I, I'm literally, my mom still lives on Greenwood and this is the hundred year centennial of the race massacre. So those things go, like where I stand on that pitch 
is where the black community was the most successful in the United States ever. So I take a moment of like sincere pride to stand in that ground. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So um, I know it's different for everyone, uh, but that's how I look at it. So if it was removed, I'm sure I could, I could move on. And, but I'm saying from my experience is like, it's a sense of pride for me because I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Nigerian. That, that's, that's the motherland for me. Uh, but I'm also American. I'm very proud of that also. Um, wherever I go, I also say that also that I'm American, I'm Nigerian American. So I know that experience, we all have different experiences. So um, there's probably not one way uh, to sum it up, but I do know a lot of, uh, of blacks that feel very prideful in America and America constantly slaps it in the face uh, while they have that pride. So, and we continue to come back and try to come again and try to do it the right way or a different way uh, and still it turns, you know, the U.S. turns its back on us. So we continue to feel uh, isolated or, or removed and we don't feel like we're part of this country. So that's why I understand when you ask that question, we still don't quite feel part of it, even though we a lot of us embrace it. But yet right. still, I'm still not American enough uh, to be accepted. But I still have this pride in America. And it's, it's really it's a confusing it's a confusing thing for sure. I understand. I understand what you Look, let's take take it one step at a time, though. You know what I mean by like one step at a time. Just pick one fight, knock it down, and don't try to just do too many fights. And then all of a sudden, it's scattered all over the place. Like we lose our focus. But just in terms of um, these teams hiring African American coaches, African coaches, Caribbean coaches, or whatever, right? Hire that. Let's talk about that. Let's just um, knock that wall down. And the minute we start talking about, okay, uh, the national anthem and all of that stuff, you could lose some allies. Because right now, it's not the time to lose supporters. You, you, you get what I mean? So just, just stay focused and just one step at a time. And that's how you become successful. You don't look like um, way, way ahead and then thinking that you're going to knock things over there and then you just disregard what's in front of you at that time, right? And then the main, the main problem is um, getting coaches hired in the MLS, USL, uh, and then the NCAA, right? So let's attack that problem and then get the players united, right? On all fronts, coaches, players, and- uh, but without, are, but without regressing, what, what is your stance on the anthem? Because I, I hear what you're saying. I'm not actually understanding what you're saying in reference well, to- I, I, Well, Gooch, I'm saying, um, we don't need to attack the national anthem right now because it's a fragile time where people are like people's backs against the wall. Um, they're thinking about themselves and things like that. Right. And then, so the minute we say, okay, man, we don't want the national anthems played at our games. Right. They're going to look at you. Um, gosh, hold on. They're going to look at you. Hello. Hello. Hello? CIA tried to turn you off. Yeah. No, somebody's calling. You don't do that, man. <laughs> I mean, they're going to look at you as someone that's like um, a, a person that's like a divider or whatever, right? I don't think we need to attack that point yet. Um, let's get the coaches hired, players united, and things like that before you go at the national anthem. That's what I think. Um. I would say there's elements of that that I agree with. There's elements that I don't. So regardless of what we do, we're always going to be seen as a divider if it goes against anything that they've been used to up until this point. That's just the fact. So this whole movement has been seen as causing division because it's made the other masses uncomfortable, right? And that's the whole concept of a protest is to make the people who, or the, the ones that you're protesting understand what you're hap what's happening and make them uncomfortable to be able to create some form of change, right? In terms of the anthem, <clears throat> it, it, like you said, it's a really delicate thing. So if I'm not necessarily for nixing it because I don't think it's, when people are kneeling, so right, how, do I, how do I articulate what I want to say? So when, 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 when we kneel, 
they accuse us of dis or disrespecting the flag. But we're not disrespecting the flag. Basically, we're protesting what's been going on in the country, um, the, the, the killings of African-Americans, the, 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 the inequality, et cetera, et cetera. Kneeling, you're still listening to the anthem because at the end of the day, we're all Americans regardless. Like you said, whose anthem is that? It's our anthem for better or for worse, right? Unless in the coming years, whatever, we all agree to create a completely new anthem, which is probably not gonna happen anytime soon, right? So for better or for worse, it's our anthem. How you perceive it and how you re react to it, that's one thing, right? So nixing it, that's maybe not the, 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 the issue. And I think one, one of the things that makes this country so unique, and I can say this because one, I hold citizenship in multiple countries, I live in other countries, is our ability to express ourselves freely without fear of repercussion, right? The fact that we can kneel, we can say what we want, anybody can cuss out the president and it's just, it's normal. You know, you, you go to another country and that's not the case, right? And that's actually part of the DNA of being American, like this, this, this essence of liberty, this essence of freedom. And so for me, it's not nixing the, 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 the anthem because in essence, you don't want to nix the anthem. You want to, you're, you're bringing protest to what's happening in the country, not necessarily the anthem. The anthem didn't do anything to anybody, right? <laughs> the, the anthem was created when it was created. Nobody thought about nixing it until the last 365 days, right? You guys are all playing and pledging allegiance to the flags and all that stuff. Nobody was aware of anything until a year ago. Um, so, but if now all of a sudden we're all woke and we say, okay, enough is enough. We wanna to kneel to, to, to bring awareness so people understand that this is not right, right? You kneel in church, you show respect, you know? And that's a, a form of peaceful protest, a form of peaceful progress in essence. Um, so for me, and also, you know, playing for the national team and I have pride in this country. And like, like Michael said, I'm Nigerian, I'm first generation. My parents are Nigerian, Nigerian. My name is Nigerian, Nigerian. There's no, there's no American in my name whatsoever, right? My, 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 I'm 110% Nigerian, but I also, that's my ethnicity, but I was also brought up in this country. So, and I understand what this country has allotted my family and myself, right? Regardless of anything else. So it's a juggling act, you know, it's not about being satisfied. It's about always wanting more, always wanting progress, always wanting continuation of better, but the proper way or the, 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 the most effective way, not the proper way, the most effective way to achieve that. I mean, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying, Gucci, and I, I, I agree. But I just, I feel like, you know, they're really, like, as prideful as I am in this country, and, you know, I have a similar story to all of you, you know, I consider myself Trinidadian, um, first and foremost, and I'm also American, and I'm as well prideful. But at the end of the day, uh, I feel like, you know, if you have a regular nine to five, you don't go there and sing the national anthem before that. And I don't think that this should be any different. I think that if you put on a national team jersey, a totally different conversation. But for like a USL or MLS game Wednesday night, I don't really feel like, like, what are we, what are we really singing the national anthem for? Who is it for? What is like, is there, um, you know, is it, is it special, you know, when it's done so many times? Uh, all these things go into me feeling like it's just not the appropriate time to sing a national anthem. I think, <clears throat> I think this the discussion that we're having on this call is a microcosm of like the larger discussion we'd have in the USL with uh, with the players there, the MLS, the, the NWSL. Right, we're not all going to agree on it, and that's why it for me personally, it's not a priority. Um, I have my feelings on it. I know you know what I'm going to do for it, but I'm not going to judge someone else uh, for not. To agreeing to do the same thing I'm doing and it's not a priority for me because like we said on the call before before like we start to hammer at the national anthem and now our narrative the narrative is going to be shifted from you know we're protesting to you know we're anti-american we're, we're not patriotic and that is an excuse to um, you know kind of divert the conversation from what we truly want which is equity right so you can't you can't really argue that there aren't enough black coaches uh, that there aren't enough black 
executives. There aren't enough black owners. You can't, you can't argue that the numbers are there, right? So I'd rather focus on that, focus on getting more black coaches opportunities, getting more people that look like us in these front office roles and, and getting more ownership groups that have the power to make the, the important decisions than to squabble over the national anthem. Because for me, it just isn't, isn't that big. And I think we have to prioritize what we want and how we're going to get it. Yep. You feel like a resolution would be playing it before even players come out to the field. And I, I definitely, you know, completely agree with focusing our energy on, you know, more specific initiatives. But of course, players are going to be voicing their demonstrations, kneeling, doing whatever they please, as we should. And we're going to have their backs 100%. So that right there, in a sense, right there is just going to create some kind of ruckus, even if it's on a, on a minuscule scale. Do you feel like just a resolution so it's not even, you know, brought up discussion-wise continuously, we can focus our energy on other things as to play before we even come out and we handle our business and then, you know, business is business kind of thing to appease both sides? I think, again, you're going to have players who want to be out on the field and you're going to have players like me who don't want to be out on the field. Like the American flag and the national anthem for me are, are different than for someone else who, I mean, I have pride in this country, but... I think that like things like that have turned into symbols of hate for me um, because of what I've experienced. And so that's not something I really want to focus on prior to a game, but there's plenty of other players out there and I have to respect the, what they've gone through, what, what they've grown up and how they view things. Like they have different views. And so for me, it's, you know, let the players do what they want to do um, and, and kind of leave it at that. I think it should be up to the players, honestly, because you know, the ones that are playing on the field, right? And the, and the fans are there to watch, the coaches are there to coach. And so I feel like the players should be the one. But I, I'm also really curious for how you guys feel because do you feel like you have to come out and kneel? And if you don't kneel, then black folks are gonna have a problem with you. And if you do, then the white folks are gonna have a problem. Like, is it becoming like uh, just such a volatile thing just, just by its, its presence? And I also know that the MLS, they like, they took it away um, as a way to kind of like stifle the, the protesting, like, you know, how do the players feel about it? Like, do you guys, is it an uncomfortable situation for you guys or do you want that moment to make your stance? I think at this point for me, uh, um, it's more about action. I mean, we talked about, you know, all the performative stuff, the t-shirts, all that. And I, and I have no problem with kneeling, but for me, the bigger statement is what can we, what actions can we get, get going? What, what, um, you know, what things can we get enacted that are actually going to affect the change that we want? And so if someone gets upset with me that I don't kneel, that's fine. Look at my resume and see what I'm doing. Right. So I'm not, I'm not so much concerned about people being upset that I, that I don't kneel if I, whether I kneel or not, like it's more so what, what am I doing? That's going to actually, you know, last over the next 10 to 15 to 20 years, as opposed to, you know, people remembering me kneeling in 2020. And for me, it's also kind of why, why I brought up the idea of playing it before we even walked out. Cause me at this point, we've seen kind of what I've been doing per se is not necessarily about me continuously the movement. I don't even want to have to continuously Neil, to bring awareness to these things, I'd rather it just not even be, you know, played at all when I come out so I can handle business and focus on what I got to focus on instead of people looking at me eyes like, what is Hugh going to do kind of thing? Because, yes, eyes are going to be looking on from both communities, white and black, what are we going to do? And of course, you have to hold yourself to some kind of standard. But me at this point, that's why I kind of asked, you know, playing it before, would that be the best kind of resolution? Because I know myself that do play it course there's going to be guys not even you know showing up on the field and of course there's going to be other guys you know displaying those kind of things but to kind of get away from all of that and, and focus on what you're focused on more so the actions and not getting lost in this anthem talk again that's why I kind of mentioned you know not necessarily playing it before or start playing it before instead of during when we walk out yeah but who's gonna get them to play before you go out you know what I mean like they're normally gonna play it right at the beginning of the game Who's going to get them to change that time? I, can, I, um, can I add a couple of things? Yeah. English Premier League, do they play an anthem? I think so. Yeah, but 
They don't. They do. Right? Yeah, they don't. They don't. They don't play you don't hear God save the queen. In America, we have the constitution where we have our rights. We don't have to stand. We don't have to kneel. We don't. We have our rights to protest in any time we want to. That's a right that we have as Americans. That's that's a right that you have. And when people stand against your rights, that's the reason why there was never a cop behind Kaepernick putting him in handcuffs for kneeling while the anthem is playing. It's a right to protest. That's a First Amendment right, the first one. And so that's the right that we have. The thing about it, and I agree with Phil, yeah, this is not the issue. They are going to use this as an issue. That's what I say. When I say they, the ones that are not giving us these jobs, they're going to use any excuse they can to put it against us. And if we get divided in any way, they win. Over. So in the end, I, I'm sorry, we, this is where, and, and, and somebody said something earlier, and I kept thinking, a lot of people want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. In other words, when we are, when we're going to fight for something, we're going to lose something to win something. We can't just have all the nicest things in the world and expect everything to happen. And by the way, um, we talked about black coaches. Robin Frazier just got an opportunity to hire Woldy Harris as his assistant in Colorado. Two black boys. And I'm really excited for that because as far as I'm concerned, every I've had a lot of white friends, really good people who've gotten jobs, but they never called me to be their assistant. They called one of their white buddies to be their assistant. And you know what? I've said it to them without hate. And I said, hey, man, I understand. And I would say to them, if I got a job, I have no problems calling this person or that person because as far as I'm concerned, we have to take somebody along with us. And um, when we talk about holding people accountable, I have friends who are white, who are in higher positions that I talk to a lot and say to them, I'm really envious of you guys, man. What do you mean? I go, you don't think you have it easy, huh? And then I would give them certain examples of just, not of just about me, about players who I know who are looking for the same opportunity and haven't been given it. And I'm telling you guys, we, <laughs> And Lincoln Phillips' name was mentioned. You, anytime you talk to Lincoln, ask him how long ago has he been trying to get me a position with the Trinidad national team, my own country. And so it's it's a struggle everywhere. But there's no matter what we do, man, we have to stick together. And by the way, the Black Lives Matter thing that's going on now, in 1996, a Trinidadian was called the N-word in New England. And it's 30 years later, and we're still dealing with it. So yeah, we, we've got to make sure when we make a, a, a stir in that pool that it becomes a wave because it, it, we can't just go halfway now. We have to go all the way to make sure this happens. We've got to let them know we're serious. It's the only way it's going to work. That's, that's just my piece. I think it's an interesting topic, I mean, for another time, but just the way that, that like the Black identity in this country, especially as it relates to soccer, because it was an immigrant sport in this country. And it was the Jamaicans and the Haitians um, and the um, Trinidadians that, you know, when, when, I went, when I went to go like research, who's the first black player to play for the US national team? Like you can't get an answer to it because it was like, are you talking about an African-American? Are you talking about a Haitian guy who was half white? Are you talking about, you know, um, Jamaican player who was like nationalized? And I think even, the first African-American who played for the U.S. national team, he had subbed on for another black dude, like who was, I think he was maybe, maybe Haitian or Jamaican that was on his team. He had subbed on for him and he didn't know until two years later that he was the first African-American to play for the U.S. national team because nobody was tracking that. And there was also wasn't the awareness to try to distinguish between, um, you know, uh, an, an immigrant or an African-American, you know? Um, and, and I see this a lot from the, the narrative and the, the situation within the United States as far as soccer, because, you know, you have the, the guys in the MLS, they come out 170 of them, but you got guys from France, you got guys from Costa Rica, you got guys, you know, and everybody has a different kind of opinion. So um, 
I think I just think it's an interesting thing to like digest and, and consider. But I but the most empowering thing is that I think the diaspora really is starting to kind of like break down that that wall. Cause I've heard people say, well, he's not a black coach. He's, you know, he's uh, from France. It's like, you know, we were all on the same damn slave ships. You know what I mean? Um, so, but I think it's important for people to, um, you know, just be aware at some of these dynamics, especially as we're talking about like, you know, patriotism in, in the US and soccer. Well, fellas, this was powerful. Uh, I think this was much needed and I appreciate you guys for hopping on. This is definitely something different that I wanted to do and bring awareness to these kind of things. And this is exactly what we touched on in every single aspect. So I really appreciate you guys, not only for hopping on, but all the work that you guys are doing in your realm, continuously aspiring. And I know we have to hold our standards to certain levels, but you know, keep thriving and keep making a difference because we're making an impact for that next generation. So I appreciate you guys for voicing your opinions and everything. It's been much appreciated. Appreciate you guys for having having us on. Hopefully, we have some other part two, part three, part yes, four. Sir. Yes, sir. It's needed. It's needed. Seriously, I appreciate you guys Let's again. Thank you, guys. Have a good rest of your night. Bye, y'all. Yeah. All right. King. So, Phil, y'all. Backyard Footies brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network podcast. That's BGN.FM on the internet. You can also follow them on Twitter at the BGNFM. Oh, yeah.